I was talking to a friend this week about um, our sinfulness and how the gospel really for us, we say the gospel is good news. Well, it's good news because it, it, it's juxtaposed against our sinfulness. The problem is we don't really want to talk about how sinful we are. We want to talk about how sinful other people are, <laughs> right? That's what social media is for, to point out the sins of other people. Um, I'm a stubborn person. Anybody else stubborn in the room? And you refuse to admit it, right? Yeah, this is all of us, right? So here's the thing. Being stubborn, like a lot of things in our lives, like probably whatever descriptors there are about you, it's a blessing and a curse simultaneously. Is it a good thing? A lot of the times, yeah, it is. Can it be a bad thing? Yeah, because I don't want to admit that sin had left a crimson stain on me. And that I'm still dealing with the effects. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. I've been saved from the penalty of sin, but I'm in the process of being saved from the power of sin. That's the crazy thing about it. It's like an already and a not yet, which is, you know, one of the themes of the Bible. It's an already and a not yet, right? I'm in the process of being saved, but I don't get to participate in the process. I don't get to be a part of the process if I'm not willing to say the first part of the song, that sin left a crimson stain. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong because I'm mostly never wrong. <laughs> you laugh like that's not you too. Or maybe you laugh because you know it's you too. Right? It's not just me and Eric. It's all of us here, right? I just threw you under the bus, right? Here we go. Numbers 14, verses 26 through 35. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number, listed in the census from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, no one, not one shall come into the land where I swore to make you dwell except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. We are in a sermon series called Exodus. Uh, again, it's not just the book of Exodus, it's actually the story of the Exodus. It's a story arc 
Uh, you probably, this is the first week actually that you could have figured out that this is not just about the book of Exodus because we are no longer in the book of Exodus. We are now in the book of Numbers. And if you notice, we jumped all the way to chapter 14. Did we skip a lot? Yes, we skipped a lot. Um, I told somebody recently, and this just shows you how my brain works, and this is not right, okay? This is just reality. Uh, I, I, wanted, I want to start preaching through some of the minor prophets, right? And even some of the major prophets. But there's a storyline in Scripture, and specifically in the Old Testament, right? And so if you're going to talk about some of these things, you, you've got to understand what brought us here. Like, what context are we in? One of the things I think, and by the way, if you're a leader, like if you're a leader at work, uh, most of you are leaders in your home, right? One of the, the big leadership mistakes that I think we tend to make, and I've certainly had to struggle with this over the years, is not taking the time to understand the context, that you almost always joined a story that's already in progress, right? So you need to really understand, the more you can understand your context, the better chance you have of making decisions that honor God and that really move us toward God's best. Uh, so understanding the context of the Old Testament about, uh, I'm horrible with time, I think it was two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that, uh, we preached through the life of Joseph. And if you go back and look on our sermons page, you can find that, right? Uh, I know it's on Vimeo for sure. So the life of Joseph, right? And so how do, how do you jump from the life of Joseph, which if you think about it, took place in Egypt, Right? Here's, here's the nation of Israel in Egypt, and they're not really even a nation yet. It's just a family at that point. How do they get from there all the way to, let's talk about minor prophets? Well, there's a story arc here. So it just hit me, hey, we've got to get them out of Egypt to the promised land. We've got to follow the story. And so that's what we're doing this fall. And then we're going to talk in just a minute about how in the spring we're going to pick up the story. So this sermon series, the Exodus, actually we're going to go to the edge of the promised land and then we're going to kind of unhitch from the story because we've got Christmas and some other things we need to talk about. Uh, this is a long story arc and it's really of the Israelites' flight from bondage in Egypt. Some numbers, because some of you are numbers people. I like statistics. Some of you like statistics. Uh, they went into the, the uh, nation of Egypt, more or less a family of, say, 70 people, right? Uh, about 400 years later, they come out as a nation of probably a little over 2 million people. Um, that's a pretty big jump, right? And you can understand why, maybe you can understand why, uh, Pharaoh kind of was intimidated by them because this was not a small number of people and there easily could have been a revolt and an uprising and especially when you see how poor of a leader Pharaoh was, right? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a possibility this thing could go south. This is a lot of people. Uh, 400 years later, there are two plus million people who come out. And then as we've said, and, and as many of you have heard, you know, uh, it more or less the journey should have taken two weeks and instead it took 40 years. Uh, and before we laugh and throw rocks, we should be reminded that we could tell some stories like that about ourselves, couldn't we? That maybe it's our stubbornness that causes us to miss God's best or to delay God's best for us. And here's the tension, and I'm just going to tell you this. You're going to feel this this morning, but this is real tension. This is real life. Can I just tell you guys time out? This is just my little commentary. I think one of the things that, there's something about our culture, I don't know if it's the rise of technology, how easy it is for us to have information at our fingertips, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm amazed at how often I find myself being mentally lazy. And I don't think it's just me. 
That's why we want to make things binary that are not binary. We want to make things like if this is either good or bad. Everybody's either good or bad, right? Everybody's either a victim or, victim or a villain. That's not how life works. And there's so much of being an adult that involves nuance, right? It involves nuance. And this is one of those things that I think we have to unpack. There's a nuance to how we follow God. There's a nuance to understanding, listen, this is how we're going to finish this up. God can simultaneously be faithful to his promise and let us experience the repercussions of our choices. And if he does so, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. Did you know that it's possible to love someone and discipline them at the same time? Come on. Any parents in the room? In fact, many of you, your minds have already gone there before I say it. If you love them, come on, you will do what? From time to time, as seems best, because you love them. Wait a second, I thought God loves me. God does love you. And he loved these people that he was talking about right here. Tim, can you prove it? He brought them out of Egypt. But what we're about to see and what we're about to unpack is, is the idea that they just kept on and they kept on and they kept on with the complaining and the grumbling and the murmuring. And finally he said, okay. Okay. This is not, you know, Tony Robbins, the power of positive thinking. It's none of that. But sometimes your words do become a self-fulfilling prophecy. They really, really do. Your words have power. So this is part 11 of Exodus. Today's sermon title, you see it on your notes, is Leaving Defeat Through Vision. Leaving Defeat Through Vision. Now here's what I want to tell you. This is a turning point in the story. I'll tell you what I mean by that. It's a turning point in a couple ways. But specifically... If you've noticed, if you've been a part of this story, you've watched as every week we've said we're leaving something, moving towards something, right? God doesn't just call us from things, He calls us to things. He didn't just set them free from slavery in Egypt so that they could live their best life now. He set them free from slavery in Egypt so that they could go to a promised land and serve Him faithfully. So that they could worship Him freely, right? You're leaving something, moving towards something. Here, here's the rhythm, listen. This is the first part in the story where what I'm telling you to do, leaving this and moving towards this, actually didn't take place in the story. It actually, they didn't leave it. That's the point of this sermon. But this gets to be a cautionary tale for you and I because they didn't leave it, but you and I get a chance to. We get the chance to leave defeat through vision. If we can understand, I'm not talking about your vision or your dream, and listen, I love, as, I love a whiteboard as much as the next guy. And a lot of Capital City Church took place on a whiteboard first because we had to figure out, we had to dream, we had to pray and listen to God, and the elders still do that. Like, I love all that. But I'm not talking about your vision. I'm talking about God's vision. What has God called you to? What's God's plan for your life? You say, Tim, I don't know. Yeah, we're going to, as a church, we're, we're working on some things to help, help you figure that out because you need to figure that out. It's not just some big idea. God calls us to vision. This wasn't true for them. And here's the point. Listen, when we stubbornly 
cling to our doubt and our negativity, we absolutely can miss God's best for us. And I say that, I'm just telling you, I say that being 100% fully reformed in my theology. About half of you get that joke. I'm a strong believer in the sovereignty of God. I really am. But if you think God doesn't let us make choices, then you're not paying attention to Scripture. He does. He does. I think what's most powerful about the whole story is that God left them to their choices but still accomplished what He wanted. He's a great big God. There's this growing theme that we've seen week after week. If you read the whole story, if you not just, you know, we're kind of skimming along the surface, hitting the high points, trying to get them from Egypt into the promised land, right? If you go deeper and read the story, you see it even more. This growing theme of Israel's rebellion and their stubbornness. It's a good thing you and I don't struggle with stubbornness, right? Right. So this cautionary tale actually is incredibly relevant to you and to me. So here's what I'm going to tell you. This is, some, this is a warning. Today and really over the next three weeks, we're going to create some tension that doesn't get resolved. I talked to you earlier about mental laziness. This is what I'm talking about. Listen, we have been trained by entertainment, by the entertainment culture. We have been trained that any problem can be resolved in about an hour and a half with commercials. That's not how real life goes. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes you walk with a limp for the rest of your life, right? And, and actually, we, I think we know that in many of the, the entertainment choices that we make, whether it's reading books or watching movies or, or you know, binging series or whatever, if you, if you apply just a little bit of logic and real life understanding, the wheels come off pretty quickly. This is not how life works, right? So I'm telling you, listen, much like in your life, over the next three weeks, we're going to create some tension that doesn't get resolved because we're just going to be faithful to the story. And that's how the story goes. Sometimes tension doesn't get resolved. We're going to rejoin the narrative probably in the spring. Sometime next year, we're going to rejoin the narrative. We're going to come back and pick up the story at the edge of the promised land, and then we're going to preach them into the promised land, right? We're going to, we're going to talk about what it took for them to take the land, kind of these two things. There's going to be some resolution in the spring. Right. You see how this reflects real life? Tim, can you tell me when the resolution's coming? Nope. And I will say, if the Lord wills, that's what we're going to preach, because who knows, right? This is how, this, this reflects our story. We're going to find some limited resolution later. So let's set the scene, because there's a narrative here, and especially like if you're not a church person, boy, this is some kind of sermon to walk into, actually, if you're not a church person. Try to hang with us, and if you have any questions, I'd love to grab a coffee with you this week and unpack it a little bit more. This is a complex story, because these are God's chosen people, listen, but they don't act like God's chosen people. They often don't act like God's chosen people. You often, when you're reading the story, wonder, why, God, why did you choose these people? There's nothing good in these people. God, why? Like, these are the people that, right, yeah, because that's how God works. And by the way, um, we believe that we are a part of that choice now. The church and Christianity has been grafted into this incredible opportunity that's not just Jews, it's all us. We get the chance to be a part of this story. 
And we look in the mirror and sometimes go, God, why did you choose, right? Why did you choose to make me your child? This is part of the narrative. So after the last week, uh, Rodney did a fantastic job unpacking the golden calf and that incident. It just in, Again, feel the juxtaposition. Moses is like, it's not like it's been years since they heard from God. Like when God's giving them the Ten Commandments, they, they kind of freak out and they say, hey, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. They tell Moses this, from now on, let God talk to you and then you talk to us because that freaked us out. We actually heard the audible voice of God and it was a scary thing. Which, by the way, in our passage today is why God said, hey, Moses, tell them. Because that was their request. And Moses goes up on the mountain, right, to get the Ten Commandments. And, and along the way, it takes them about 47 seconds <laughs> to find unfaithfulness. Because that's your story and my story, isn't it? Man, oh, man. So after this incident, right, this golden calf incident... By the way, at this point, they've spent about a year in Sinai. Like this peninsula, this area. Guys, can you go ahead and throw this map up here? I got us a map. Um, so Sinai's down here at the bottom of Paran, right? So they're in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They go down to Sinai. They're down there. They spend about a year there. They, they got the covenant. They got the Ten Commandments. They had the golden calf incident, right? They built the tabernacle. See, we skipped all that. We, we don't have, that's like a series of sermons, just the tabernacle. They got all this stuff. They're ready to go. God organizes their camp. He organizes their travel order. I love this, right? That when they set up their camp, the tabernacle is always going to be in the middle because that's God's presence. And by the way, every time we set up camp, we're all, don't just camp wherever you feel like it. We all have an appointed place. How do you move two million people orderly? Everybody knows what their place is, right? And by the way, we're all facing the tabernacle. We're all going to face the tabernacle when we can't because God's always at the center. All of this happens. They depart and they start heading towards the promised land. And they're excited. And it takes about two chapters for the wheels to come off. In numbers, it takes about two chapters for the wheels to come off. And they start complaining again. They land in the wilderness of Paran, as you see. They're at Kadesh Barnea. And they send out 12 spies. Go check out the promised land. And the, the uh, routes that you see are the, the routes that the spies took. They're going to go and check. They're going to go from the top to the bottom of the promised land. We've got to go see what's going on here. Two from every tribe, right? Here they go. Well, if you remember the story, I was thinking this week, I don't know if you remember this, and, or like if you grew up in church, and if you're not as old as me, this story may not work for you. But when I grew up in the 80s in church, uh, technology was called flannel graph. Do you guys remember flannel graph? When you were in, yeah, some of you do, right? I remember being in kids' Sunday school, right? And they had the board with the felt on it, and they had the little paper thing, and when they put, it was magic. They just put it up and it would hang there, Right? And I remember one of the little flannel graph things of the two guys, and they're carrying a big stick, and it's got a big cluster of grapes. Yep. Sound familiar? Anybody? Yeah, right. That's this story. It, it represented God's blessing. This promised land was a beautiful and plentiful land. It was, it was, it was 
fertile. This was a place they wanted to live in. And two of these spies return optimistic, and the other ten say, I don't think we're going to be able to make this happen. I know it's a beautiful place. But man, there are, some, there are some big and powerful people that live there. By the way, don't you feel like maybe that percentage holds true in your life and my life? Ten out of twelve times we get it wrong. Ten out of twelve times we want to doubt God and be negative. Or maybe ten out of the twelve people you're surrounded with are the negative ones. No, I just don't think this is what God... And, and by the way, Moses, you led us here. And now you're saying we're going to, what you're going to do is kill us. We're not going to take this land. You're going to kill us. This is true. Listen, this happened. So we need a different leader. We're going to find us a different leader. We're going to find us a leader who can take us back to Egypt. And all the people said, I think that's a great idea. That's what we should do. Look. Listen. The majority has spoken. Turns out the majority can be wrong, right? All 12 are sinners. So here we are. What do we do? We're, forget about Moses. Forget about Aaron. We're going back to Egypt. We need a new leader. And that's the context of the verses that we read. God says, I've had enough. You've been complaining since we left. I've been with you every step of the way. I've provided for you every step of the way. And every time I provide for you, your response is, yeah, but what about? Any analyzers in the room besides me? Come on, any cautionary people in the room? How many of us are cautious? Boy, oh boy. Is that a good thing? It can be. I've told you before, oftentimes what I'll say is, I'm not being negative, I'm just telling you all the reasons it won't work. <laughs> and I have a spreadsheet to prove it. Is there room for but God? Especially when taking this promised land was not my idea to begin with. We can't do it. But if God's called us to it, then He's going to empower us. He's going to energize us. He's going to fl flatten the way in front of us. He's going to give us the power and the wisdom. He's going to give us anointing. This is what He does. The ten spies stir up a mutiny. All the adults go along with it. And they try to appoint a new leader. The ten spies then immediately die of a plague, which God says, okay, this is going down. You ten get to die. I, he still loves everybody. But you don't get to experience the promised land now. The rest wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they're all dead. And you saw, fascinating, and maybe you've never picked up on this in the story before, a year for every uh, day that you're there. Goodness. In other words, see if this doesn't sound like a punishment. You don't get to go back to Egypt. But you don't get to go forward into the promised land either. That's a pretty horrible existence. I'm not going to let you go back. But you don't ex get to experience the things that I have for these people. They were your things. Now you don't get to experience them. They're now for someone else. I was reminded, uh, and I don't even know if you remember this, but in Numbers 16, uh, there's a story about Korah. 
Uh, interesting little story. And he's one of those Old Testament figures that maybe you don't think about or maybe you've never heard of him before. One of the first sermons I preached was about the story of Korah. I still don't know what I was thinking. And probably most of it was wrong. But, you, I mean, you got to jump on that bull and ride it all the way to the end, I guess. And that's what I did. Fascinating story of rebellion. And the story of Korah, this is fascinating. The God who loves us. The God who loved them. Korah stood up and said, you're not going to lead us, Moses, and you're not going to lead us, Aaron. And the ground opened up, and Korah fell in, and then the ground closed. And he was with the Lord at that point, because he was no longer here. We should tremble with reverence in front of the God that we serve, because he's not a pushover. And he's a loving father. God's faithful to his promise to Abraham. Please hear this. But not at the expense of his righteousness. He's calling us to have faith in him. So two observations very quickly and then we're going to be done. The first one's this. This is in your notes. Persistent doubt can bend the trajectory of our future. I worked hard on wording these, so I hope it works for you. Persistent doubt can bend the trajectory of our future, becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Persistent doubt, just over and over and over. Did God say? Has God said? Is this really what he wants for us when it's clear that he said this is what he wants for us? Verses 27 and 28. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Verse 28. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. You have said it. That was not my plan, but you just keep saying it. So now it's going to come true. Not because I wanted it, but because you keep saying it. How do we reconcile this with the fact that God's always in control and He always gets His perfect will? Well, He also has something called a permissive will. And sometimes He allows things to happen that were outside of His original plan. And His long-term goals are always accomplished. But chess pieces happen because the chess pieces are you and I. And it's not that someone else is moving us. We actually make decisions. We make choices. Here's what I'm saying to you, especially, listen, I asked you earlier how many of us are cautious. The fruit of the Spirit is not just caution. In fact, it's not even in the list, is it? The fruit of the Spirit is not being realistic. It's not living in reality. What is it? Peace and joy and hope. Hope. How do you balance hope with caution? Well, certainly the Bible tells us that it's good to be cautious and sit down and count the cost, right? All of that's true. But man, oh man, when God's called us to something, when God's called us forward, we should respond in hope. The mystery is that somehow, even within God's sovereignty, our faith plays a role in our future. Go back with me to Matthew 8. This is in your notes. We'll put it up here. Matthew 8, 10. And this is just the very end of the story of the centurion servant. You remember this? The centurion's servant in Jesus' ministry. This centurion comes to Jesus. He says, listen, 
I know what it's like to have people in authority under me. I know what it's like to tell people, go do this, and they do it. They have no choice. I understand what it's like to have authority and power. And I'm asking you, if you would just say the words, my servant would be healed. In other words, what he's saying is, I know that you have that kind of authority. I know that you have that kind of power. Verse 8, Matthew 8, 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Tim, can you explain this? Nope. Is God still sovereign? Yep. How does God's will fit into all this? I'm I'm not God. I don't totally understand it. I don't totally get it. But what I'm telling you is, first of all, hey, how about we just spend four or five sermons unpacking the idea that Jesus marveled at someone's faith? How awesome would it be to have the kind of faith that would cause Jesus to marvel? Anybody in the room have it? Because I don't. Man, oh man, how, how interesting is this entire story? But it's clear, it says, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Go and let it be done for you as you have believed. Their faith played a key role. If your faith plays a role in your future, please stick with me on the logic here. If your faith plays a role in your future, and it does, then your lack of faith might play a role in your future as well. Or your stubbornness might play a role in your future as well. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit does what? Dries up the bones. Listen, you ever been around somebody that just dries up your bones? They just make you stoop over? I just, sometimes I just feel like I need to lay down and take a nap. After some conversations, why? Because they're not being negative. They're just telling me all the reasons that it won't work. And I have no doubt that I do that to others at times. Sometimes, maybe I've done it to you. If so, I apologize for that. Man, oh man, what must it be like? Which which do you want to be around? Somebody who's good medicine? Or somebody who dries up your bones. Here's what I'm saying to you. A negative spirit. A crushed spirit. Doesn't just exhaust those around you. It exhausts you too. You ever get tired of being around yourself? How many of you, because I know this is true for me, how many would join me in saying that sometimes the biggest complaints are the ones where we just complain to ourselves? And we don't want to tell other people, but just that, that, I heard a guy say years ago, you're the best preacher that you've ever heard. I think that's true. Because you believe everything that you say, if you're not careful. What about when it's all negative? Just all the reasons that it's not going to work. I shudder to think about the things in my life that I've missed out on because I knew all the reasons that it wouldn't work. It's real. It happens to us. It exhausts us. 
and exhaust those around us, which really takes us kind of to the second point. Our stubbornness, this is scary, echoes into the lives of those we love. Our stubbornness echoes into the lives of those we love. Verse 33. Your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. And they shall suffer for your faithlessness. Come on, guys. Is this real? Uh Uh-huh. Does it happen? Absolutely. Does that crush your heart as much as it crushes mine? That our doubts and our negativity can actually have a ripple effect? Why? Because you don't live in a vacuum. And you say, Tim, I don't have kids, or I'm not married, or whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't live in a vacuum. Do me a favor right now. Look around this room. Quit looking at me. Look around this room. You don't live in a vacuum. You live in some kind of community. And I'm not just talking about your address, although that's a pretty good place to think of community too, right? We live in community. We do life together. That's one of the purposes of this church. And by the way, it's the purpose of every church is to have community. If if we're all trying to paddle in the same direction, what if we got together every once in a while and just paddled together, right? What if we saw what it might look like for us to encourage each other and try to make progress together? We don't live in a vacuum. Our decisions affect others, by the way, in proportion to their proximity to us. So the closer they are to me, the more my decisions are going to affect them. So after God, who does that start with? Well, for me, it starts with my wife. And then it starts with my kids. By the way, that order is really important. It doesn't start with my kids. It starts with my spouse. And I'm called to be the leader of my house. Before I'm called to be the leader of this church, I'm called to be the leader of my house. And leadership is an incredible responsibility. And all the people that I'm supposed to be leading are dependent on me to get it right. I need to feel the weight of that. Wait a sec. See, this is what I think. When we really understand leadership, we're not so quick to try to grab it. Buyer beware. There's a heavy weight. This is an incredible idea. I'm reminded, this is so big, just very quickly. I think about this story all the time. Years ago, I was on a flight to the Dominican Republic. I was going down to work with a pastor there in Santiago, and it was the last flight. Like we, we, I went down there several times a year, and so I'd fly from Kansas City to Miami, and then Miami to Santiago. And it was that last flight, and it was the last flight of the day, and we were all tired, and we all just wanted to get there. And we all knew once we get there, then we've got to go through customs and all, you know, like it was just going to be a late night. And I remember sitting on the runway, it was an American Airlines flight, we're sitting on the runway, uh, getting ready to take off from Miami, and a dude got on, and I've never seen this before or since, but for whatever reason, one of the seats didn't work, and it was one of the seats in the exit row, and nobody could sit there, you can't sit in that seat. I don't remember why, I didn't care why, it was late, I just wanted to get to where I was going. And the dude got on the flight who had paid for it. 
He paid for that seat. You know how he, I know he paid for that seat? Because he let everybody know that he had paid for that seat. You know how much he paid for it? $14 extra. You know how I know that? Because he let everybody know that he had paid $14 extra for this seat. And we sat and listened to the flight attendant argue with him for much longer than we should have. Do you know how quickly I just wanted to give him $14 out of my wallet? And say, bro, just find another seat. Why? Because either we all go together or none of us goes. Your decision to have this argument doesn't just affect you. None of us get to go to our destination if you don't get it together, bro. So seriously, I'll give you $28 if you'll just sit down. Because I would like to go to sleep sometime tonight. Come on. My decisions don't just affect me. They affect a lot of people around me. Let me say this very clearly. God does not punish our children for our sins. He does not punish our children for our sins. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Everyone's responsible for their own sins. Our children will not be punished for our sins. Listen. But they very well may suffer for them. We could tell some stories, couldn't we? Have you suffered the fallout of your parents' sins in any... And your parents may be great people. My parents are great people. But I suffered the fallout of some of their sins. Because that's how the system works. This is how societies work. This is how families work. Verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. This is so big, we don't have time to unpack it, but I, and this may seem like a strange pivot to you, but it immediately comes to my mind when we start talking about this. In a related ecosystem, when, when we're all in an ecosystem together, we affect each other. And Hebrews 12, 15 is a, is a key indicator of this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, what does it say? <laughs> Root of bitterness. Do you know how many times I've seen in churches and in families... Bitterness destroy things that God didn't want destroyed. Some of you came to Cap City Church because you were upset about something somewhere else. And I'm telling you, don't bring bitterness in here with you. You know why? Let's keep reading. Because when the root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, buy it. That's just poison that spills out on everybody. When you and I choose to hang on to our bitterness... It affects those around us. I always think about my kids when I read this verse. When I hang on to bitterness, it's going to defile people around me. And I bet it's going to spill out worse on the people who are closest. We can cause people around us to suffer for our sin. They're not being punished for our sin, but they can certainly feel the effects of them. So here's the ultimate theme. I told you this in the beginning. We're done. God remains faithful to His promises, and He honors our choices. He does both. How is He able to do both? Well, He's God. You fast forward to Deuteronomy. We're going to read, and I, I pick and choose verses because we don't have time to read an entire long passage. This is what Moses said. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. This is what Moses says. This is his message to the nation of Israel. 
from God. He says, see, I talk, God's talking. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. This is not a lock. You're at the edge of the promised land and you're going in. And life and death have been set before you. And your, your salvation may not be at stake, and it's not, right? But if you think we can't all feel the repercussions of the sins that we all choose to cling to, then you don't understand how the story goes. You know what I think about this? Ultimately, they didn't faithfully worship and serve God, did they? And they wound up in exile, which is how we got a bunch of the minor prophets. They were in exile. They didn't get to keep the land that God had given them. Now, I know that even echoes into today. They came back, right? But God's plan was, this is your land and you stay on it. And you never get conquered by anyone. God still accomplishes his will. But we're part of a story. And in this story, you and I make choices. And our choices have consequences. Consequences. 